Hello, I'm Mike Baselli, your host for this podcast and the global digital community that has rallied around it. During this episode, we spent time with a licensed clinical psychologist and a national expert within the intersection of population health, digital health, and behavioral science. Dr. Ellen Beckjord is the Associate Vice President of Population Health at UPMC Health Plan, one of the nation's fastest growing health plans and owned by the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, a world-renowned healthcare provider. During our time together, Dr. Beck George shared how her previous experiences in applying just-in-time adaptive intervention methodologies have now helped position her to focus on the use of digital tools in clinical operations to achieve efficiency and impact in population health management. Dr. Beck George's guiding principle, lead with love, is evident throughout our conversation. Her passion and commitment to improving the health of the communities she serves is incredibly inspiring. It is my hope you will connect with Dr. Beckjord as she helps further her organization's mission by providing its members with better health, more financial security, and the peace of mind they deserve. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Vaselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Dr. Beck Jord, welcome to our podcast being recorded at Halo Creative Labs, located inside of AngelMD's headquarters here at Catalyst, our healthcare innovation campus in downtown Denver. I'm so glad to be with you today, Mike. Well, Dr. Beck Jord, I am tickled pink to spend some time with you on the podcast today. And speaking of pink, we had originally connected via the global pink socks movement. And by the way, to our listening community, do take a listen to episode five to learn more from Nick and Andrew about all things pink socks. Well, Dr. Beckjord, I'm looking forward to learning more about your work and journey at UPMC Health Plan in your recent adjunct faculty appointment at Carnegie Mellon University, as well as what exactly population health means for the communities your team serves. But before we dive into all things pop health, a bit of housekeeping. For our audience, while listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to visit the episode notes to share feedback and ideas with our guests via our guest feedback form link and to nominate other passionate pioneers for a future episode via our guest nomination form link. And lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli on iTunes or Spotify, or click the link at the bottom of the episode notes to be able to automatically subscribe. All right, Dr. Beckjord, before we learn from you and all the wonderful work happening at UPMC Health Plan, let's take a moment to break the ice a bit so our community can get to know you. But before we do that, I have a little bit of a special shout out. I know we have a mutual friend and one of your colleagues and somebody I highly respect. I want to give a quick special shout out to Dr. Pamela Peel, the Chief Analytics Officer over at UPMC Health Plan and UPMC Enterprises. That's fantastic. I think all podcasts 
should start with a shout out to Dr. Peel. She is a force of nature and um, I've been so fortunate to have her as a colleague and she's gone out of her way to be a mentor to me. So I love that we're starting with that. Well, absolutely. Well, maybe we should do that. She is a rock star in my eyes. I absolutely love spending time with her, her energy, her brilliance and how she thinks about where we need to go as an industry. And by the way, in December of 2019, I'm sure you know this, Dr. Beck George, she went and spent uh, quite a bit of time down in South America. And I cannot wait to get caught up with her about her trip down there. It sounded like she was getting really excited to head down. And I don't know if you received any updates yet. I have heard that it was completely incredible. It really exceeded all of her expectations. And that's just one of many really amazing things about Dr. Peel is that she's such a world traveler and that makes spending time with her so interesting. She always has really interesting stories to share. Well, next time you see Dr. Peel, please give her a big high five and a big hug for me. I will. All right. Well, we're going to go and dive into the icebreaker round before we learn from you and all the wonderful work over in Pennsylvania and UPMC Health Plan. So let me randomly select one question so our community can get to know you. Let's see what we got here. All right, what it came up with. One thing that you love to do outside of your pioneering work and why? I love to ride my bike. And I love to do that for many reasons. I got introduced to cycling as you know, really a regular sort of sport and habit for me about three years ago. And one of the first things I noticed when I started riding my bike again with some regularity was because I hadn't done it since I was a kid, it really connects me to some part of myself that is still very much like a kid. So I, uh, I love riding my bike because it makes me feel like a kid again. I love riding my bike because it lets me achieve some of my physical activity goals, you know, in the context of something like just trying to get to work in the morning. I like riding my bike because it reduces my carbon footprint. And I love riding my bike because as a person who really values sort of theoretically the idea of stillness and sort of, you know, being kind of still and not, you know, I'm not very good at that naturally. So there's something that I really love about riding my bike and that you're sort of sitting still, you know, you're sort of stationary on the bike, yet you're still moving through space. And so it's just sort of on every level. I've made such great friends through cycling. I've been able to see parts of the city of Pittsburgh and the states of Pennsylvania and Maryland and then down into the District of Columbia on my bike that have been wonderful and uh, it gets me outside, gets me in nature. So I love to ride my bike. So the term bike here in Colorado has many different definitions. Every, everything <laughs> from a big mountain bike, you know, climbing these Colorado Rockies to, you know, road bikes or single gear bikes or cruiser bikes. What kind of bike do you like to ride? So I have sort of a hybrid, a commuter bike. So I've got thicker tires than a road bike. I started, when I started bike commuting, the only bike I had was a mountain bike. And I've had that bike for years. I sort of started and really dabbled, certainly in Colorado terms, definitely dabbled in mountain biking during the time I spent living in Vermont. And then I'd moved back to Pennsylvania and now have, have just kind of a hybrid commuter bike. So good for a little bit of rough riding on some unpaved areas and some trail riding, uh, not a mountain bike, but also a little bit more substantial than, than a road bike. And I have snow tires on it right now for winter riding here in Pittsburgh. I love it. Excellent. Well, we love our bikes over here as well in Colorado. So thank you for sharing that, Dr. Beckjord. We do appreciate it. Well, let's dive into the fun. 
there's so much to unpack with your work and your leadership on a national level and what you're doing at uh, UPMC Health Plan. But we want to go back a bit. I know I've heard, already been talking about you and, and being on this episode and some of the folks I've been asking about want to learn about how you got to where you are being a national expert in population health, kind of what that means for us, how we should be thinking about all of that. And we're going to dive into all of that in just a moment. But rewind the clock a bit for me. How did you become a national leader and a thought leader in this space? Take us on that journey to where you are current state. Sure. And I think that the highest level answer is it's really been a combination of training and education and then lived experience, you know, on the ground job experience. But my PhD is in clinical psychology and all of my clinical work, 99% of it, has been done in the context of healthcare, and then sort of specifically within that, within uh, cancer prevention and control and cancer survivorship. So I uh, spent many years working as a psychotherapist for individuals directly affected by cancer. I don't do that work right now, but I have for the majority of my career. So I've been trained as a clinical psychologist, didn't think that I wanted to be a full-time clinician and was really interested in the underlying behavioral science that is part of uh, clinical psychology. And uh, so went on after I finished my PhD to get a master's in public health focused on epidemiology and biostatistics. Now, that, that wasn't diving deeper into behavioral science per se, um, but it did give me the opportunity to be a part of a program called the Cancer Prevention Fellowship Program at the National Cancer Institute, where I worked for a couple of years in the health communication and informatics research branch under the direction of a, an incredible person, Dr. Brad Hesse, who ran the health communication and informatics research branch at NCI for several years and was really such a mentor and guiding force for me and a person who helped me really understand how I might take a foundational skill set in behavioral science and in research and figure out how to apply it in real-world settings to help people. And that would be one way, I think, to describe what population health management is. I think it's the application of, you know, various types of skills and methods, really with the end goal of, of helping people, helping them in, in the context of health and healthcare. Um, so I've never, uh, I teach a class right now called population health management, but I've never taken a class called population health management. And I don't have a, an advanced degree in population health, though such degrees exist. Um, so it really wasn't until I was working really as a faculty member at the University of Pittsburgh, but functionally placed within the UPMC Cancer Centers, doing clinical work and research that I began to, I think, have a greater appreciation for the various constellation of factors that make up population health management. And then when I moved into my current role at UPMC Health Plan in the Insurance Services Division, you know, I think I'm now placed really at the intersection of so many things, whether it be, you know, value-based payments, clinical operations, digital health, and working at sort of the nexus of all of these different disciplines that when they come together, create an operational opportunity to translate a population health management strategy into things that affect people every day in the service of their health and wellness. Well, thank you for that, Ellen. And let's take it back still with in regards to your specific journey within UPMC and UPMC Health Plan. You know, you you entered into the organization back in early 2015. 
Was that when the notion of population health became, I don't know how else to say this, but think of it as a buzzword and, and things that were, you know, this topic that we started discussing within the industry. Was UPMC, UPMC Health Plan already thinking about this? Were they starting to form a team then? Give us a little bit of a history lesson there with the organization as well as all of, all of the education and all the things that you saw. How did that all kind of come together? Sure. So when I joined UPMC Health Plan in 2015, I joined in a position that had been created by a man at the time was our vice president of consumer innovation and strategic business development, a man by the name of Kim Jacobs, who's also been an incredible mentor and guide for me. And he created the position and then recruited me into it. And the position was director of population health and engagement optimization. And I remember saying to them at the time, you know, between population health and engagement, I've got two major buzzwords in my title. If this stuff falls out of fashion in the next few years, am I going to have a place to land? <laughs> so, you know, on the one hand, was very excited to be able to step into a position that really was created around concepts that, that were and still are kind of very hot topics, but also recognized that, uh, you know, and have since worked to understand what are the real driving forces behind these buzzwords that mattered before they were buzzwords and are going to continue to matter if that ends. And I, you know, so I've been connected to Kim by a woman, Dr. Donna Kaiser, a dear colleague of mine who works here at UPMC Health Plan. We had worked together at Rand Corporation, where I spent three wonderful years as a behavioral scientist uh, here at the Rand office in Pittsburgh. And at that time, I was a faculty member at Pitt. I was working at the Cancer Center. I had a pretty significant amount of funding for my research in digital health and cancer prevention and control. And I wasn't thinking about leaving or changing my role, though I'd had such wonderful experiences at the National Cancer Institute and at Rand Corporation, really collaborative experiences. And I was about four years into my faculty position at Pitt, working in a very classic academic medicine environment and felt a little lonely. In my experience of academic medicine, may not be everyone's, but my experience was you're so encouraged to specialize, then you sort of have to differentiate yourself from everyone else that it didn't lend itself to the kind of collaborative interdisciplinary teamwork that I had become so accustomed to and loved at NCI and at RAND. And I was thinking about how to manage that and trying to come up with, you know, new sources of collaboration and the like. But it was around that time that Donna reached out to me and said, there's someone here in the insurance services division who's created a new position. And he wants that position to really live at the intersection of population health and digital health. Would you be interested in having a conversation with him? And I always agree to conversations like that. I think it's important to we can't always anticipate what opportunities might come our way. And even if it's not an opportunity we take, how it might benefit us in our current role. So I said, of course, I'll have the opportunity. And I met Kim. And over a series of uh, conversations, he really convinced me that the position he had created was, in fact, an incredible opportunity that I couldn't pass up to use the work I'd been doing in digital health, in behavioral science, in cancer prevention and control and chronic disease management, to do that work in the context of you know, the payer side of an integrated delivery and financing system that is a very mission-driven organization, all the way from our CEO, Diane Holder, a very mission-driven, behaviorally focused, whole person focused organization. And I thought, I, I can't pass up this opportunity. 
And I, I don't know how I would have answered the question five years ago, what do you think population health means? Even though I agreed to take a job that had that in its title, I would have probably given a relatively vague answer again about, well, it's really trying to service people in you know achieving their health-related goals. I've always been focused on wanting to be of service to people who are struggling with their health, either with a life-limiting or life-threatening diagnosis like cancer, or even just struggling to achieve health behavior change that may elude them. So I knew it was going to let me keep working in that arena. It was going to let me have an impact on a very large group of individuals who represent our membership. And I was so impressed with Kim Jacobs and everyone I met at the health plan along the journey of getting to know the work that um, I, I took in some ways of thinking about it, I suppose, a bit of a risk in stepping into something that was unfamiliar. But I've never looked back. And it's been an incredible five years. And I continue to be so impressed by my colleagues here and the opportunity that we have to really make a difference in the lives of our members through lots of activities under the umbrella of population health management. And thank you for that, Ellen. So you, you teed me up perfectly for that. You mentioned impact. You talked about making a difference in the members and the lives you serve. Do you have some real world use cases, some actual tangible outcomes that you've seen through this work at UPMC Health Plan? Yes. And I can give a couple of examples. So we've had for a long time, like most health plans, services for our members to help them lose weight, quit smoking, improve their health behaviors. And we've been able to, when we engage our members in those services, which prior to 2019, we largely delivered through on-site coaching programs or telephonic coaching programs. When we've engaged members in those services, we've been able to help them achieve those behavior changes with great success, but we haven't been able to engage enough of them. And so in thinking about modality of service as, as an important population health construct, we sort of challenged ourselves and we're challenged by our senior leadership to say, you know, so much is happening in the digital health space. How can we move into a reality where we deliver these services in a digital modality, which is where so many people are looking uh, for these services to come from? And we took those evidence-based programs. We did an enormous amount of work with a lot of different people, including some, um, you know, wonderful partners from across the insurance services division and a local gaming company called Shell Games. And we built a mobile application that's called Odyssey that took those evidence-based behavior change programs, put them into a digital environment, and then added some functionality to them so that they function as something called a just-in-time adaptive intervention, which is a, a great modality for fostering things like behavior change. And we've been able to quadruple um, in just about a year the number of members that we've been able to engage in that programming. Wow. And they've had wonderful success in that digital modality comparable to the success that we've seen with our telephonic coaching programs. Um, and, and and I think another thing I would I would mention that that has been really enhancing our impact. And I should just say briefly, you know, I, I often talk about extending our reach and enhancing our impact. Those two, you know, those two things have to co-occur, right? We're we're always trying to reach and engage more people, but you also want to enhance the impact that you have among those whom you reach and engage. And that's really a tagline from 
the Society of Behavioral Medicine, which is the professional society that I've been a member of for a long time, um, whose motto is Better Health Through Behavior Change. And it's a group of behavioral scientists who work together to really enact some of these values. So we're trying to extend our reach and enhance our impact. The other way we've done that is by really doubling down on some of what we know drives successful relationship building with the members that we serve. We, as a health plan, I'm sure it won't surprise you, are coming from not, you know, a super advantageous vantage point as we try to engage in relationship with our members. They may not expect that their health plan has these kinds of services to offer them. They, we know that trust typically in health plans is not as high as trust in the healthcare system. So we've done an extensive amount of work to equip our clinical operators with a foundational skill set and motivational interviewing. And what we're seeing are really um, reliable outcomes with, with just some mentoring and feedback on core motivational interviewing principles like partnering, like expressing empathy, like helping people set you know, realistic goals, that every one of these interactions now is being supported by this foundational competency. And we're, we're seeing huge returns on the investments that we're making in supporting our operators to have this skill set. And we're hearing from them often that as they go through our MI training and they receive our MI mentoring and feedback, that it's reminding them of why they started to work in this field to begin with, because it really reorients them to the service nature of the work and to the idea of truly helping people. Those are awesome examples. Thank you for that, Ellen. I appreciate it. So I also, you know, we have a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs and startups and these leaders around the world, these innovators, building the future of healthcare through technology and innovation. And I'm sure they're tired of hearing from me on these episodes, but I always come back to one big area of focus for all of them is to not build in a vacuum. Don't just assumptively build technology or innovation that you think is going to work. You have to be in the thick of it to truly understand the complexity of what we're talking about here. So setting that up a bit for you, Ellen, can you just give our startup and our innovation community tuning in just maybe one or two real kind of action items or things that they should be thinking about and keeping in mind while they build to deliver value to the marketplace like a UPMC health plan and the members that you serve? Absolutely. And I'll talk about a framework developed by something called the Trust Project at Northwestern University. There's a lot I like about this framework, but as a behavioral scientist who comes from a field with uh, lots and lots of different theories of health behaviors, I'll tell you, I navigate or sort of gravitate, I should say, always to the simplest ones. So what I love about the trust project and what it does is define trust very simply. It says trust is a function of honesty, competency, and benevolence. And so I would say to startup communities that are trying to build solutions in the healthcare space, healthcare is so wickedly complex. And it's complex for lots of reasons. And there may be, and I'm sure there are, lots of viable solutions focused on trying to reduce that complexity. We hear a lot about reducing that complexity, even in the national dialogue, and those efforts are important. The complexity is unlikely to sufficiently reduce quickly. And the degree to which solutions can add a layer of simplification to the complexity, I think those solutions are really valuable. And I think it relates to this idea of trust because it's very difficult from working with inside healthcare to be competent and 
honest sometimes, not because we don't aim to be, but because the system that we're working from within is so complex that uh, it can be difficult for us to communicate to our constituents, to our members, to our patients, to people um, in simple ways because what we're dealing with is so complex. And, you know, if you think about the degree to which any solution that you may be trying to deliver to providers to give to their patients or to give to people in the service of their health, you know, they have to engage with it for it to work. And I think that engagement is most probable when someone trusts the product, someone trusts, you know, the entity delivering it. And so, again, getting back to these kind of core principles of honesty, benevolence, and competency, how is your product um, making the user of it or the folks who will benefit from it feel like the healthcare system or the part of the healthcare system that you're trying to integrate with? How is that making the experience one that feels more filled with honesty, with competency, with benevolence, um, and really kind of drives connection from those principles? I think is, uh, I know that's very high level and not specific to any one particular type of solution, but I think those three principles and the idea that they kind of underline this concept of trust is really important. And so again, uh, Ellen, that's from Northwestern University, is that correct? The Trust Project at Northwestern University, yep. Excellent. And we'll make sure to link in our episode notes over to that as well for all of the listening community to learn from that. So thank you for that as well, Ellen. Really appreciate it. Let's turn a bit now. Let's start thinking about the future work, future state, not just with uh, UPMC Health Plan, not just with your work, but also as the industry, the next one to three uh, years, three to five years. Where do you see this notion and this term of population health going for our industry? Sure. Two things. One is, much like we're moving into precision medicine, I think we're moving more into precision population health management. I think of population health management really as a as a very quantitative activity and um, that we can be very specific and and very algorithm-driven around how we deliver what services to whom via what modality. And so as we think about, you know, I think of sort of six functions as really comprising population health management, surveillance, identification, outreach, assessment, service delivery, and evaluation. Those six functions encompass, in my view, all of population health management and the degree to which we can achieve precision in each and the relationships between them, I think is driving us towards a more precision population health management approach, which not only positions us to have greater impact, but will allow us to deliver service at scale in ways that are resource feasible and operationally feasible. So we're grappling with things around, you know, how do you achieve both scalable and personalized outreach? You know, how do you achieve precision in service delivery? And not in every instance, but in so many, we can't do that without increased use of of digital tools. And I guess that would be the other thing I would say in the next one to three years, if we're trying to be more precise in our population health management strategies, and we're going to need to rely on digital tools to do that in part. I find it fascinating that right now, there is a surprising, in my view, gap between the availability of digital tools and in many cases, consumer adoption of them in the context of healthcare. And there are lots of reasons 
for that gap. But like as one example, almost every healthcare system now offers opportunity for synchronous video visits as an alternative to presenting in person to primary care. But we haven't seen broad adoption of that modality for receiving care. And then this, in my view, I'm biased as a behavioral scientist, becomes a behavioral question because it's always difficult to get people to start a new behavior. And I would argue for many people, receiving something like primary care via synchronous video, that's a new behavior. It's difficult to get people to adopt new behaviors. It's even more difficult to get people to adopt new behaviors as a replacement for ones they're used to engaging in in a different way. And right now, I think the population at large is just not quite used to engaging in lots of healthcare-related behaviors and transactions through use of digital tools. We've become very accustomed to doing it in other arenas, like banking, like travel, like all the examples you would think of and people give. Um, But I think over the next one to three years, we need to be intentional about supporting populations, especially traditionally underserved populations to adopt use of these digital tools, to gain some behavioral fluency in their use in the context of healthcare. And we have to design those tools in ways that don't threaten or create barriers to adoption. Um, but, But we've got to do that in parallel. We have to support populations to help close this gap between availability of these tools and their adoption. And we have to do that in ways that are very very person-centered. And I think, again, go back to trying to build relationships to help people trust that these tools can meet their needs in ways that the system has done in other ways in the past. And that if we don't do that in parallel with trying to become more precise in our population health management efforts, that we actually won't achieve either of those goals, which are both important. Well, you just nailed that. Thank you for that, Ellen. Really appreciate it. And really, it goes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier, right? Not building in these vacuums, understanding these populations, building tools that don't create barriers, understanding what the needs are, not just building something and then trying to find a home for it, right? Going, finding those pain points and building for that. So perfectly said. Thank you for that, Ellen. Really appreciate it. Let's now think about it the other way. You've given our community a lot to think about, a lot of great pointers and and thoughts around this whole notion of population health. But let's go into how our community can help you. Can you share with us one problem, need, or question that you currently have that our community can be helping you with? Sure. It it may, again, be, well, well, here's how I'd I'd phrase it, because... um, You know, personally, one thing that I think I uh, may unfortunately be known for is overcomplicating things. And and so and so I'd love to hear from uh, this community and others. I think there may be some very simple solutions to some of these challenges that are easy to overlook. And in the realm of digital tools, again, there are there are some very sophisticated um, digital tools and associated analytical methods around artificial intelligence, machine learning, and the like that are so important and then certainly play a role in the future of how care can be digitally delivered uh, more frequently. But there's also some digital tools that folks are very used to using, like texting, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, Alexa, uh, things we all have in our homes now, um, like synchronous video. And are we, are we not thinking enough about how to use 
these tools that people are already using and using them in new and innovative ways. And I know that a lot of this work is happening. And so mostly what I'm seeing is you know, the challenge I'm giving to myself and where I think the community of innovators that, that listen to this podcast and that you support can help is as we pursue new tools and new modalities, might we also consider how we can repurpose existing ones to achieve the same goals? And, uh, and, and that's, I, I, you know, I've spent, a, put my toe in the entrepreneurial waters, so to speak, uh, several years ago while I was a faculty member at Pitt. And I know that that realm is not for the faint of heart. And I have a lot of respect and admiration for people who are working in startup companies and who are really trying to innovate and, and, and push the envelope on what's possible. And a lot of that has to do with differentiation. And oftentimes differentiation is about creating something new. But, but I would ask that we also think about whether differentiation can be achieved by using something old in a new way. And I, I think that we may have an opportunity to, to do that in, in ways that we might not typically think of. I know I'm looking to have conversations and get input from people on how we might do that because we're so, I think, driven to think about something that doesn't yet exist to solve a problem. But, but again, I, I think we can, can reuse and repurpose much of what we already have to great effect. And I'd love to hear ideas from other people about how we might do that in the context of health and healthcare. Well, thank you for that, Alan. And of course, yes, the entrepreneurial waters are very choppy at times. I have lived in those waters for many years, and you are correct. It is not for the faint of heart, but uh, it is a, a definitely a love affair. And it is amazing what some of these innovative minds and entrepreneurs build within those confines and those choppy waters. It's uh, it's to be commended to many of them, but a great, Absolutely. a great uh idea and thought to contemplate. So any of our innovators or, or anyone listening in and has ideas around what Ellen just shared, don't be shy. Uh, go, head over to the episode uh, uh, notes and click on that uh, feedback form link and we'll be sure to definitely get that feedback over to Ellen, something to really consider and contemplate. So thank you there, Ellen. Now let's go ahead and talk about some contact points online for the community to get, to hold, get a hold of you directly. Can you share some contact points, uh, social media or otherwise? Sure. I'm uh, pretty active and always aspiring to be more active on Twitter. I love that environment for connecting with people. And my Twitter handle is at E. Beckjord. My last name is B-E-C-K-J-O-R-D. So my first initial and my last name, at E. Beckjord. Would love to connect via folks. Uh, via Twitter with folks. And I'm also um, reachable via LinkedIn. And my additional contact information is retrievable from my LinkedIn profile. I'd be happy to connect in either venue. And easy uh, there as well. We'll uh, list those both in the episode notes uh, for this podcast. So no worries there. So thank you for sharing that. We're going to close it out, Ellen. Of course, I'm sure we could have spent a lot of more time on the wonderful ideas and the vision you have for our industry. Uh, but it's time to close it out. And we're going to close it out with an open-ended uh, opportunity here for you. Please fill in the blank. I'm a passionate pioneer because? I'm a passionate pioneer because I believe in the power of connection to change the world. Brilliant. I really think that uh, that connection kind of underlies much of what I do. I challenge myself to put connection at the heart of everything I do. And, uh, and, and that's not always easy. And sometimes it's not always received with open arms, but that's usually a signal to really double down on it. So I just really think that connection 
in all of its forms uh, and in all of the ways that digital tools are allowing us to achieve connections in ways that we couldn't before, that I just really believe in the power of authentic connection to change the world. Well, thank you for everything you do to continue to further those pursuits in our industry and in our communities. I really do appreciate all your work and your relentless pursuit to continue to make our communities healthier. And of course, lastly, speaking of connection, do give that high five and do give that hug to Dr. Peel. Again, one of my dearest friends and somebody I definitely look up to. But for today, Ellen, thank you. Thank you for being on our podcast and sharing your perspective on our industry and our communities and how we can continue to further the health of our community members across this country. Thank you. Mike, it's been great. I really appreciate having the time. And also thank you for this podcast and everything you're doing to make these connections among so many people who are doing such incredible work. So thank you too. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.